Hey, Tommy, um, welcome to the 100th episode. 100, 100, cent. Yeah, that's great, man. I I can't believe we've made it this far. Yeah, I can't either. And and, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll keep going. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I do want to keep going. It's, um, we... uh, 100 episodes. That's pretty impressive. 100 episodes in like two and a half years. So we didn't, you know, we didn't quite make it in uh, a a once a week. There were some, some technical issues over the last couple of months. There were a few things that happened. You know, I, I, for about 10 episodes, what happened was I got this terrible idea, and that was to add, like, a current events content. Hmm. So there's about 10 episodes, maybe 8 episodes in there that I think anyone who's interested in listening had to, like, fast forward, like, 30 minutes past our baloney take on today's news before that we got to movie yeah, was talk. It, was it only 10 episodes? <laughs> I think it, it was less like than it that. like it might have been more than that. But I okay. think it was less. It was, like, 8 episodes, and it was, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it wasn't it's just a dumb idea. Um, and then as soon as we, we um, sort of regained our minds about that, our studio broke down. Right, and then for another, I don't know how many episodes, seven or eight episodes, you and I were doing like a, a one hand, track hand recorder. Oh Leo. my god, it was so bad. The quality was so bad. You know, the, I mean, the spirit was still there. <laughs> right, right, right. But um, somehow we we sort of limped across the finish line here, or the first finish line in America, uh-huh. a, a relay of um, of a hundred episodes. Yep, we sure did. I and can't we got, believe we got the it. New studio we're working from right here. Yeah, we, we really need to take a second out to thank our Patreon people for that. Yeah, because they definitely helped with that. So. We certainly did. Thank you, Patreon people. We did purchase a new studio, so we're sort of back in the game again. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for your patience, everyone. Yeah, your patience and your patronage, and, and God love you. Yeah. So, um, so we had talked about a, a while ago. You know, if we could make it to a hundred, mm-hmm. what should we do? Right. And you and I decided. That on our hundred episode we would do a Humphrey Bogart, like big big show. Like we would, a Humphrey Humphrey blowout. A Humphrey blowout, you're calling it? Yeah. A Humphrey Bogart uh, getting. Bogart getting. Bogart palooza. Yeah. Whatever, man. Yeah, and so it was like, you know, we can discuss why Humphrey Bogart, but we were each going to like bring three movies, Humphrey Bogart movies, to the table, right? And just sort of go in chronological order there. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about um, Humphrey why? Bogart in general? Like yeah. why? I, mean, I think I think that's that's pertinent and interesting and. Um, I mean, Humphrey Bogart is kind of like there, there. There are other actors who are more my favorite actors from that time period, from you know, from the uh, the Haiti of Humphrey Bogart. But Bogart is maybe he had one of the most extraordinary fucking careers. First off, okay, you go just ahead. Have to say that. Yeah, <clears throat> went to Hollywood, didn't do so well. Left, came back, did tremendously. Sort of worked his way up. I mean, like he was a picture of a Hollywood career. Yeah, you know, in in a sense, he's kind of like the kind of the working model of a number of them. Played played off a lot of people's coattails. But when he got his own, to, when he got his time to shine, boom, shown. I mean, there, you know, you think of a couple boom. of like, either uh, you know, couple of uh, sufficient. I don't know. I think he's one of the best Hollywood careers out there. Yeah. Okay. So Maybe I mean, not the greatest actor. Certainly yeah. not one of the greatest actors. But I think one of the greatest presences and and, and mm. enjoyable as hell to watch. Yeah, I'd I think l- that's his secret. I'd like to hear more about those coattails in, in a minute, but um, yeah, he definitely is a, an interesting. He's one of those Hollywood stories where it's like um, he embodies the Horatio Algier aspect to some degree because it right. is like you know he comes out to Hollywood, fails, goes back to New York, comes back out. So by the third time he came out with Thirty Six's um, Petrified Forest, which we made a big deal out of in Episode Three, mm-hmm. um, it was he finally started to catch fire, and then he still had some other struggles. And it it's a weird career, but it, it is a career of, of 
of, of longevity for sure, but right. in some ways, not a career um, that's really very, uh, a life that's very Horatio Algiers because the whole tough guy persona mm. is one, um, you know, he grew up very privileged. In yes. New York City, father yeah. a doctor, mother an illustrator, and apparently um, there's some sort of mythology that he was the original Gerber baby. But in fact, because she did the illustrations for the Gerber baby, oh really? Um, line. Never heard that. But but he wasn't. But he was a baby model. Huh. This little real good looking kid. And so like, how did he get? You know, because the other thing about him is like, there's nothing really about him that says like um, dashing leading man. No. On paper, right? No. Right. On paper, not at all. And in fact, I mean, like he didn't even start. Like his big breaks were in the gang role. That was his leading role. That's how he sort of, you know, the Casablanca and that shift over to being a romantic lead was considered very uh, very weird at the time, but so maybe you know, he was able to pull it off. Got Casablanca being yeah. like sort of his thin edge of the wedge in that one. Well, he's got a few things happening, right? He's not a very tall guy. Right. Um, he was balding early on, so he wore a piece. Mm-hmm. Not classically handsome at all, I would say. No, in fact, kind of well-worn. And the drinking and the, the cigarette smoking, I think, sort of added to that, right? Right. Then he had these early um, bad caps, mm-hmm. which is why he did that thing with his mouth that sort of like pulled back on the lips. Which Really? I had heard that he had like gotten a split lip in a fight when he was in the Navy or something like there's that. There's that, too. There's two things that happened. One is that he had these bad caps, okay. and that it gave him that sort of like um, nervous tick with his mouth that kind of became mm-hmm. famous early on. Right. There are like all these mythologies um, about how he got... Um, the split lip one was that it was a bar fight and that was kind of dismissed another was that um, he was he had been in the Navy at like 17 or 18 and right, he had right. he'd been on a ship um, bringing home soldiers essentially from World War one but he had also had cause to be in charge or help be in charge of some German POWs and that um, he had offered one a cigarette or something and and been caught off guard when when a, a German um, clocked him with the, the cuffs the handcuffs oh wow another one where he was sort of like milling some wood and the wood sort of shot out from the, the saw and, and hit, hit him in the face so it's like as many as many inventions as you can mm. give but it's sort of like somehow you know that's the Hollywood about him is that he created this sort of mythology around why this guy who on paper should not be a leading man is leading mad material right mm-hmm. far out yeah I mean I'd heard about him being him catching that uh, you know the split lip in the Navy that's where I got that from but huh, okay I had never heard the other ones yeah I have I have a, a small sort of recording and um, I hope I hope you'll indulge Tom for like two minutes while we get these two voices, and I'll, I'll identify who these voices are later on um, who want to talk about Humphrey Bogart. And this is from a, a documentary I saw. So um, if, if you give it a second here, and I hope the technology is all right. Why why is he still cool? I mean, uh, the toughness is really what's important, I think, because as tough as he is in the pictures and the quintessential films of his, so he's still hurt. You know he's hurt. He covers it. He moves on. And he deals with it. He lives with it. And added to that, there's a sense of irony. The wisdom of irony. The world is tough. Inevitably, it's fatalistic. But once you understand that, we can maybe make it through. Bogey was really one of the first anti-heroes, if not the first anti-hero. Back then, if you were good, you know, the good guys wore white hats, the bad guys wore black hats. But Bogey was able to wear a white hat and a black hat. He was the killer who you kind of sympathized with. He was the first guy really to do that. 
Okay, and so I cut a little bit of the music from that uh, that uh, documentary. But of course, the first one is that, well. You know, what was really funny is at first it sounded a, little, a lot like Woody Allen. I never realized Martin Scorsese <laughs> can sound a little bit like Woody Allen. I didn't think about that. Definitely Martin Scorsese. Yeah, and then Chaz commentary certain place and time are going to sound. Of course, similar, of course yeah. that makes sense. And then Chaz commentary is the second guy who's sort of more known on the stage, but he did the Bronx Tale and mm-hmm. and uh, sort mm-hmm. of a stand-up actor. But and I, and I have to like and I, and I, I, I yeah. Let me agree with Martin Scorsese. Let me take a brave. Uh, stand here yeah, and agree with Martin Scorsese. I guess there is a certain amount of, yeah, he was a tough guy, but there was a certain vulnerability. There was a certain amount yeah. of damage that he took as a tough guy that, that, that was apparent to it, that was not apparent on you know many another star who also you know sort of lived in that area. Yeah, I mean, you and I were talking yesterday, we were on a walk and we were talking about, I, I was mentioning that Bogart is probably my favorite, although I would agree, not not the best actor, the but just, actor, but. but one of, probably my favorite from the classic time period and and my second, he was the one I was introduced to first. Uh, that's like I would stay at your dad's house and sort of watch all night movies as Bogart athons. Mm-hmm. Um, William Holden was the second, and I think they both had the same quality that that these guys were alluding to. And it's the the turn, the turn from the cynical. And in Casablanca, by the way, which is not one of the films we're going to talk about, it's probably the most obvious example of like the turn from cynicism right. to romantic or patriot or whatever it is. And it's that sort of that sudden turn that those two actors can make that are so attractive, I think. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll go with you on that. I think there's another quality to it, too, and I'm not sure exactly what it is, because there's this thing about, like, I, I took a look uh, yesterday as, you know, part of the, you know, lead up to this, I took a look at all the list of Humphrey Bogart movies, yep. and I realized, you know, we're not going anywhere near a bunch of his more famous movies here oh, sure. today. No, yep. we're going for some more obscure stuff, but I, I would hold up most of these obscure, these more obscure uh, movies up to the light of some of the other ones that, that we're not talking about. Here, I mean, yeah. he had so goddamn many good. He, he was involved in so many good projects that there, there has to be something to that. I mean, that has to be a part of it, doesn't it? Like, did I he make know. him that good? Did he choose him that well? Was he just in at the time when these kinds of projects were coming out? I don't think that's the case at all. But I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really don't. It's a continuation, I think, of of the like. He's he's not the best actor, but he's might maybe my favorite. Actually, I don't think any of the movies we picked stand up against like the more celebrated movies in terms of the quality of the movie but I do think that some of them for me anyway stand up as like some of my favorite movies right, right, and it's right. like mm-hmm. he's he's a comfort like he's just a comfort like so let's I mean let's talk about before we start going through let's let's talk about movies that we're not doing and why we're not doing them here oh sure okay okay so like some obvious ones right um, I, I don't know why for instance we didn't choose 1941's High Sierra that actually seems possible that's the only one I can think of that possibly is an oversight. But but there are other places to put it. I mean, certainly you can count yeah, it as a Houston, uh, you know, because of the screenplay or... Or, or William Wyler, for instance. Yeah, right. No, 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 it wasn't Wyler. Who the fuck was that? I don't... Raul uh, Walsh. Raul Walsh, that's it, yeah. Um, certainly, yeah. I mean, so, th- so there's room to put it somewhere else. Right. Um, the Maltese Falcon, we want to do something very special with the Maltese Falcon yeah. in conjunction yeah. with some other stuff. So Treasure of the Sierra Madre. That, I, same, I, same. Same. It could be its own episode or a Houston episode. Casablanca, obviously. Uh, maybe we wanted to do Walter Houston or something like that. Yeah, African Queen. Um, Casablanca. I mean, we could do like... The Kane Mutiny is the 
other one where I felt like, why? Well, maybe we right, should have chosen yeah. that one. But no, I, I had the same feeling. Like, yeah, that, that could have been an acceptable uh, addition here. We could do Casablanca and movies like Casablanca trying to cash in on Casablanca because there were a couple of those. Yeah, and and maybe I started to think, well, maybe it's because actually these films are more exclusively Bogart films. But I can see a good argument against that as well. Oh yeah, yeah. well yeah, no. At least at least at least at least two of them I could think of the the other the other the other top billing you know it could have gone to that certainly I didn't quite follow that but that's okay yeah I think we'll get to I'm it I'm sorry about that no that's all right okay so so do you want to start or do you have more sort of generalized Bogart things to say oh you know you you said uh, we'll get back to this later on and I was talking about like sort of the coattails that he wrote on. Oh, I yeah, always yeah. figured he was just part of I always figured as far as coattails go he was definitely uh, part of Cagney's you know part of the, the Cagney crew definitely you know that, that gangster time period which was dominated by Cagney and Edward G. Robinson but he was kind of a, he was always kind of a Bogart was always sort of a kind of a bitish player but he but he gained you know momentum on his own career by being part of that yeah maybe it's hard to say I mean um, you know the the famous uh, sort of notation was that uh, George Raft just kept helping him out by turning down roles down right roles, so he right. turned down High Sierra then he turned down the Maltese Falcon mm-hmm. um, that they wanted um, not just George Raft but um, Edward G. Robinson for, for things that Bogart somehow slipped into so as unlucky as he was at the beginning mm-hmm. he made lucky relationships and you know the, the big break with the Petrified Force in 36 was yeah. because he'd been in, in and um, he the stage, play, right? the stage play, but the guy not not to Robert Sherwood, it may be Robert Sherwood who wrote the stage play, um, had seen him in something and said, "Oh, just by chance." Had seen him and decided he would be perfect as Duke Mantee in 36's, um, uh, I'm sorry, 34's stage play, The Petrified Forest. Right. Which then. And then Leslie Howard Leslie insisted Howard. that he, he come over right. and play that Right. So it's that like all these sort screen, of. Yeah. It's hard to see anyone who is as hardworking and has such longevity as he does and who went against all the odds that he did in terms of his looks <laughs> and everything as like lucky. But in some ways he was very lucky. Yeah, he, yeah, he was lucky. But, sure. No doubt about it. So, um, you know, except in marriages until he hit that fourth marriage. But uh, his third marriage was a fucking doozy apparently. Are you going to talk about that? Yeah, well, they were the, the, the battling Bogarts, right? The, get into the biography of the, the, the Bogartography. Yeah, well, this will. isn't just Hollywood Babylon stuff either. I mean, this is kind of well established. He had a, a first marriage in the 20s that right. lasted like a year. Mm-hmm. He had a second marriage to a, a prominent then in the mid-20s stage actress who, by the way, has the, a nose the size of a plow. Really? I mean, I'm no, really, I mean, she was well matched with him in the looks department. <laughs> Um, and when he was going out toward Hollywood in the 30s, including the first one we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. um, there was a kind of a rift between them because she she was like of the stage, and he was like, let's give uh, this right. a shot. Right. And then he meets this woman, and I forget her so name, she but was the, an artiste, the, and he was a whore. The third wife, yeah. who was just like matched him in terms of like violence and <laughs> and uh, and right. drinking. There's a story like the, I think at the Brown Derby or one of those ridiculous sort of like Hollywood lunch spots mm-hmm. where Bogart, who was famously like prompt was like half an hour late and and he came in and there were like four like bloody like um fingernail scratches across his face uh-huh. and he said sorry i'm late but i had to drop the old lady off at the hospital he'd broken her jaw and she'd scratched his face but he was like <laughs> apologizing that he was half an hour late for a, a lunch at the brown derby oh wow god what a what a what a time and place what a thing great that time we used to live in <laughs> damn it i mean yeah it's sort of I know she stabbed him at one point too right right i mean they were just a total disaster yeah, of course yeah. You know, was, you know, and and kind of a uh, I don't know. He always come across as in his personal life being addicted to that kind of drama. Yeah, probably. And then you know, somehow he carried it on to a certain extent with Bacall too. Uh, 
Um, I'm not aware of that. I, I thought that was kind of like his settling down point in a uh, way. I don't know that he did settle down. My understanding is he was still drinking like a madman. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, yes, but the violence and the sort of all that sort of stuff, I think, got cut out oh, with her. Freaking way cuter, probably. <laughs> yeah, maybe, and he was <laughs> a lot was older. He was not than, motivated to be violent into the circumstances. He was yeah, a lot right. older than right, she, right, too. Right, and right. there's another movie, by the way, which we're not doing to have and have not. The rare movie where the movie is 10 times the book. I mean, it rarely happens, but that could not only be a different. That could be a Bacall episode. The movie, it could be a William Faulkner episode, by the way, who was the screenwriter for that. I mean, there's lots mm. of... He's, that's the thing about him is, is whatever his career embodies for him, it also is like a museum piece for like the American cinema. Yeah. yeah, For Hollywood. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all that. And he was um, famously like um, in a hostile argument with Art Linkletter, his, his uh, uh, Hollywood neighbor mm-hmm. over a dog. Art Linkletter apparently tried to poison his dog. <laughs> <laughs> Bogart refused to keep it quiet. Like, I mean, he's just a treasure trove of stories. This yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah, well, and you know, and also, you know, during during Huac, he was kind of a he was he was oh yeah a big enough star not to have to worry too much. He was able to say speak his own piece, speak his own goddamn mind, and you know, he was uh, you know reasonably pro union and somewhat you know slide into the liberal side on that one as far as that went. He did have to recant actually by the time um, yeah. after uh, Dark Passage came out, and it seemed to be affected by the, the his anti Huac. Um, activity. Right. Um, he did. He did sort of recant a bit. And there's a lot of. I've, I've started to rethink. You know, people like um, Alaya Kazan, mm-hmm. who's like, you know, boo, you traitor. You know, turning in his fellow. Ho- right. And I've always had a hostility toward him, Barbara Stanwyck. Um, I I begin to see as time goes on, or maybe I'm just older, that there are some cases where the areas were grayer. People like Arthur Miller and Humphrey Bogart. Where it's like, well, were you going to give up everything? I mean, they didn't actually name names, but they just sort of like kind of went along with things. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. So anyway. Sure. I want to start with um, our first movie. Oh, yeah, let's do 1930. it. 1930. This, this was Tom's choice. I picked this one. Absolutely. Yeah, let's yeah. Up the River. Yeah, Up the River. This is this is the first uh, movie appearance by uh, Humphrey Bogart and similarly also um, uh, Spencer Tracy. Yeah. Their first, like their first, I think, starring roles for certain. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, they've each been in shorts before then, but this is the, the first starring role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and Tracy, and, and Tracy, they sh- yeah, they Tracy, share, the, share the stage here. Tracy has the starring role. Bogart has like a third or fourth billing in it, but right. I mean, just by technicality, it's kind of a it doesn't really. Matter. Yeah, but the main, but the but Humphrey Bogart still plays sort of the main driving character of the of the of the movie for sure. He's um, his character provides the conflict. Let's yeah. put it that way, right? right? So all right, all right, so. <laughs> It starts off. It's in uh, up the river. That means that's that's old old timey talk for being in prison. So they were up the river. Uh, Humphrey Bogart uh, is uh, you know like a smart, well educated young man. Got in trouble. Went to you know went to had to go to prison. Went to prison, and he's like the uh, the trustee that they do uh, that does all the tax work. Yep. You know all the paperwork for everybody in the prison, including the warden. Uh, everybody, this is fucking, what a movie this is, dude. Yep. It's very 1930s. Everyone is uh, a little. Uh, uh, yeah, like kind of a bad F. Scott Fitzgerald novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of bula bula going on in there. What does that mean? Uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to, don't know how to uh, sort of like very like old singing Harvard fight songs and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so they're at a, they're, so he's at a prison. Uh, Spencer Tracy arrives at the prison. Uh, well, it shows him. It starts with him escaping with a friend. So he's constantly being all of Steve McQueen returned to oh, the prison. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, no. He's uh, his uh, name is I can't remember the name. Doesn't matter. Super it's irrelevant. Right yeah. Um, but he's uh, Danamora, I think it is. Anyway, so. So he's uh, he, yeah so um, yeah he keeps escaping.
escaping from prison and being put back into prison. He's something of a celebrity. So this Patrick Tracy character is something of a young, handsome celebrity yep. in, the, in the prison mm-hmm. uh, system. Um, and uh, meanwhile, this this prison also has a woman's wing, uh, which I don't think I've sure. ever heard of before. Yeah. So, uh, Humphrey Bogart meets a nice young lady. She's coming in. He's doing the paperwork for her, mm-hmm. and uh, falls madly head over heels in love with her. Love at first sight, like boom, yep, boom, boom my friend, mm-hmm. boom. So uh, yeah, and so and then so uh, then then he gets out. Uh, he meets his parole, goes back home. He's uh, not letting anybody know he's from New England, from a very respectable and wealthy family. Mm-hmm. So he goes back to them. Well, and just to he's be clear, to, he, so he he has he set it up so that his family. And neighbors back in New England don't they know. They think he's in China on a mission. So he's gotten some friends to continually, like, he'll send a letter to China and they'll repackage it and send it home or right. send a cable so that they can keep up the ruse that he's just out of the country. Right. Yep. So, okay, so he gets out, goes back home, and he, he promises to wait for his nice young lady. She's got a five-month stretch head in her. Uh, and, then, um, and then, so, uh, but she finds, like, his, like, her business partner, presumably sort of a pimp. They, they never say pimp. The sex does not ever come into this movie. Yeah. Sexuality does not come into it, but it's but it's slightly inferred. Anyways, uh, this well, guy that she was like a business sort of, partner and partner in crime of hers. Well, that's sort of like if we go back, we did a, a, a we reviewed a film called Caged, and it was from 1950, the women's prison. Do you oh, remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it really was. I, I don't know that it was a, a sort of. Um, a, a synonym for pimp. I, I really think there was the idea that women couldn't be wholly bad by themselves. They must have been influenced by a quote-unquote bad man, bad man, which you can interpret as a pimp, but also just sort of like the corrupting a, influence. A, yeah, just like a, a squinting, smoldering type who, who led them down the wrong trail. Right. I mean, it's just sort of the 1930s innocence of it all. And sold, uh, Get it out there. That word. That's yeah, go ahead. <laughs> sultry. Okay. You are sultry. Go ahead. Shut up. All right. So, anyways, um, okay. So, yeah. And so, so she goes. Uh, where was I? <laughs> yeah. It's just it's it's a weird movie. There's a couple of things going on in there. Um, you were like, saying that she was about to get out, and um, her business partner uh, just tries to blackmail Humphrey Bogart yep. and uh, his family, and uh, threatening to out him to his family that he had just come back from prison. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, he goes a little too far and, and takes uh, Bogart's uh, mom for a little bit of money. Yep. Bogart's going to kill her, uh, is going to kill the guy. But his, his good friends from prison, one of which is Spencer Tracy, they both make it out and then they go take care of the problem for him. Basically, that's it. Yeah. There's a lot of color uh, from the 30s in this movie. It's very much, a, I think, a movie of its time and place. Okay, so if you look at something like we did another one, I think it was the same episode, Each Dawn I Die, 38, James Cagney. They have prison films where or white heat or whatever it is where where um unrealistically anyone who would watch an old a classic film Mm -hmm. prior to going into prison him or herself is bound for a disappointment (laughs) because um that seems a fair statement the the but but it's it's even worse in this film because at least in in like a uh a a G. robinson or james cagney movie in prison they're enemies with someone who tries to like kill him with a hook and then they become friends it's sort of like ah the guys who try to beat each other up are best friends and that's stupid and unrealistic but here here, in this prison, yeah. I have to tell you, have you ever seen Oz? 
I kept waiting for Adebisi, the, the guy, the black guy with the, like the crooked hat, to come and just pull out his cock and make everyone like do a trained seal act. Because, I mean, it's so insane. First of all, there's a little girl that just runs around the prison, the, 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 being warden, am- the warden's daughter, yeah, being amused by local. Right? There's mm-hmm. that. Um, there's everyone's this, colorful and cute, and it's sort of like nobody's mad. The only anger is that like we have a great baseball team here, and it's right. sort of like we need we need our best players who just tried to escape, and it's just. So there's something about it that's like it's not just out of touch, it's well, just it, ridiculous. It's a comedy. They're trying to make it a comedy, and and half the and people aren't so wearing prison the, garb. Right, right, right. Yeah, at one point Humphrey Bogart's wearing like a suit and tie. You can't wear. You can't keep in your prison. shoelaces in jail. What yeah. are you talking about? Right. Why would you be wearing a you know? Because you're one of the better people, I guess. Um, I, here's the other thing. When I was watching it, I, I rewatched it uh, very recently just to get it back in the thing. Yeah. Was there a was there a minstrel show scene in the middle of this movie? I don't remember that. But, oh yes, there is. I'm sorry. Yes, of God course there is. <laughs> of course yeah, there is. Of yeah. course there is because it's like, one of the times when Spencer Tracy escapes. Half the men are in, in shoe polish in the minstrel show, and the other half are in drag. Right. It's yeah. a, it's a movie that travels well. I guess is what we're saying. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's the thing is there is to me. Wow. I love Spencer Tracy. I love Humphrey Bogart. Oh, yeah. I love movies in the 30s. There is there is nothing enjoyable about this film except as as a fossil yeah i mean it's just a time capsule for sure yeah and i don't don't mean just definitely the finest thing about this movie i don't just mean like something to roll your eyes at and like all of the minstrel show although there's that too but there's also just sort of like okay well how are people trying to put together narratives back then because here's the thing i got a whole i don't know about you i got a hold of a print that would have like two or three second uh, like lapses in Mm. in in the preservation of the film skips Mm -hmm. didn't bother me a bit didn't didn't matter at all Mm -hmm. yeah um so it's really it's it's a bit like watching, um, you know, D.W. Griffith minus some of the, the harder elements to swallow from his films. It's just a historically interesting, interesting to see these two guys who, who had this bond, taking back to the real life thing. Humphrey Bogart got the name Bogey from Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy is one of the last people to see him. Spencer Tracy was supposed to eulogize him, but they were was, great friends. was too broken up, so, so Houston had to eulogize him. And so, yeah, that to sort of see this um, Hollywood, um, you know, relationship. Dare we say bromance? How easy, how Let's easy never these at a, at a bromance together, I agree with you. I'll, I'll, I'll sign in on that word. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was interesting, and, and to that degree, I'm glad that you chose it. Um, yeah. You know, and it's like I think about the rest of the 30s. And and, we're going to talk about Bogart, talking about like his first movie. I think yeah, that, that's kind of a no-brainer. And so the 30s for me. Putting aside, um, putting aside Petrified Forest, and putting aside, in my mind, um, one other movie, the Lillian Hellman uh, adaptation of Lillian Hellman's um, Dead End mm-hmm. from 37, mm. and then other movies where he's not the star but he's great in, like The Roaring Twenties with James Cagney yeah. in 39. Putting those sort of exceptions aside, he made a ton of movie in the th- movies in the 30s, and none of them are are too impressive. Right. Nothing really happens for this guy until High Sierra in terms of like art, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. except putting aside High Sierra. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So anyway, I I would. What can I say? I can hardly recommend it for anything but like a serious cinephile who who just wants to sort of like understand like you know Where some beginning from sometimes. Some, sometimes that's a good thing to know. Absolutely. And this is definitely a, this is this is a good example of like that time period and that kind of movie making. And if you're one of the three people that have listened to our 100 podcast then you probably are already in that category yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah good all right um good choice anything else to say about it um 
know. I don't know. Yeah, again, it's not uh, like a great movie, but mm-hmm. again, it's that capsule thing. You could really capture an idea of what white people thought was amazing. <laughs> God damn it. How are we still alive? I don't know. Well... Um, yeah, I mean, everybody of color is being super patient with us. I guess. I mean, it wasn't a huge aspect of the film. I, I think actually, if you really want to get down to it, a film like this, the people who should have felt murderous are poor people. Uh-huh. I mean, any. I mean, uh, that's the problem with. I mean, the the interesting slash problematic. I hate that word myself. Mm. Aspect of 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 cinema going way back into the like the 30s. Yeah, is that it? It, it had no self awareness that it could be anything else but a propaganda machine. I mean, you are in prison and still sort of patriotic. Right, yeah. and that's insane. Patriotic about baseball. Right, and about the country and about God and America. And it's just sort of like it's like kind of a, point, like, at one point like when the the new the 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 pitcher shows up and it's Spencer Tracy's character yep. and the guy who's like obsessed with the be he's like the coach of the team is like the big like puts a blank puts a pillow under his pitching arms it's <laughs> fucking weird right <laughs> instead of his face in the pillow yeah right yeah absolutely Which, yeah go ahead no 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 go ahead pillow, oh, pillow biter what were you gonna <laughs> do? Pillow biting joke. um yeah sorry that was a cheap shot but all right so I'm going to go on to um, oh. the next film, if you don't mind. No, please. Unless you have something else. Allow. Okay, now I'm going to say this. This is my favorite Humphrey Bogart movie. <laughs> it's not by far the best Humphrey Bogart movie. Right. But something happened. I saw this on for a while when I was in high school. PBS would show uh, movies like this in the middle of the night. And so mm-hmm. I would wake up. Um, and I even remember like the quality because for some reason the, the projection, projection thing that PBS had had these three ridiculous dots that no one ever cleaned off. So I had all these films, these tapes of of old Humphrey Bogart films that I would get up in the middle of the night and ones that I'd never seen. All of the night is something no one ever talks about as a film. And yet, I think it's so fucking enjoyable. It's the one he does right after uh, Maltese Falcon. Remember that Maltese Falcon was kind of a surprise hit. Oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't. surprise. Nobody nobody had a clue about that movie. So, I don't know whether he had signed onto this already or what the deal was, but, you know, it was the next one in line and Humphrey Bogart plays Gloves Donahue. Right. Now, first of all, this is a cavalcade of, like, um, bit parts for people. You have a, a young Jackie Gleason. Yep. His first movie. Um, Phil Silvers. I don't know if it's his first movie. Um, just sort of goofy. Then you have Peter um, Laurie is running around. Peter Laurie, of course. Mm-hmm. Conrad Veidt, who's who was in later on, who was yep. in uh, Casablanca. Casablanca. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Oh, it's um, William Demarest, who who is an, he's he later on he was in My Three Sons as Uncle Charlie. He's just this old <laughs> fucking. Ridiculous guy, nice. um, and then I I don't remember the um, the character's name, but like the other the, the third sort of character who spends his movie the entire movie trying to get laid, right? Uh, you know, in 1942, and it's like you know he's going to marry a gal, and somehow he never gets a, to consummate the relationship because gloves Donahue needs his help. Yeah, and then I forget her name. It's easy to look up, but it's it's the mother. Um, she's a mother and everything, yeah. but but she was in the Grapes of Wrath. You yeah. know, I, I forget her name, but yeah, so she's she's gloves. Gloves his mom. Gloves, so gloves she's Donahue. Ha- she's half the plot. Sort of, right? Yeah, well, because her... She's a MacGuffin with Her with tagline is, is sort of like continually what, what drives, you know, mm-hmm. the, the next scene, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, we, it's, um, you know, we have... Um, 
uh, let me see. Let me get this straight. We, it's we're not right, actually. Cause in, it gets a little weird. In some well, because because we're not. When it was released, I guess we were. Yeah, we were in World War Two. Forty two, nineteen. I don't know that we when it was filmed we were, but it was so clear anyway. Like who the Axis powers were right, and what right, who the right. problem were. So like so having a Nazi sort of uh, super group as your enemy mm-hmm. is not a problem. Right. Gloves Donahue is an apolitical guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's uh, called Gloves because he wears these. He's known for his little um, habit of wearing white gloves everywhere and he's right. from the, the, the lower neighborhood but he's classy, made it, he's a classy gangster he's sort Dave of. the Dude from, uh, from uh, Pocket Full of Miracles oh good Dave the Dude right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Which, if and, you know that movie this would be clearer perfect and and uh, and he's from the old neighborhood but he's made his way out into mm-hmm. riches because he's played the numbers well and he's you know he's manipulated the numbers right. and the rackets which tells and, us he's smart and all this stuff and, but he's got this old lady who lives in the old neighborhood and, and it all really starts with as you say it's her, like her catch line like when I got a I got a feeling, and when I got a feeling, I got a feeling right in here, right in here Norton. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like you know, she's this crazy old broad. He's always got a feeling that something's wrong with someone. And and gloves, of course, is it's it's all also prefaced on the idea that he's so superstitious. So it's like he always gets his cheesecake at this place where Phil Silver's yeah. is his waiter, but he has to get Miller's cheesecake. Yeah. And Miller is is the old lady's neighbor, and he takes one bite, and it's like this isn't Miller's cheesecake. <laughs> And, and it's like, well, we didn't. He, and thus launches a movie. Miller didn't come in, and that's the whole sort of like how the movie starts. Like, right. like the, the 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 German baker, who's a re- actually more American than German, mm-hmm. um, actually didn't make it in because he's been. Um, He's been killed by Peter Lorre for some reason. It's right. like, why is and, this? And German? Peter Lorre is our heavy. Peter Lorre. I love that. <laughs> I love it whenever he's the heavy. Yeah, of course. Man, how long did he ride the, the wave of M over so, the years? So it's continued, like, like Bogart has a lot of enemies in town, but it's continued, like, running into these guys who really don't care for gloves, Donahue, yeah. who's made all the money. Because he keeps outsmarting them all the time. In a way, oh, all the time. You know, without, the, the guy, fail. the guy, the, the nightclub owner, who's like, what time is it, Joe? And he, like, he's, he has, like, a martini in his hand, so he looks at his watch. Ah, oh, you did that on purpose. He spills a martini all over himself. <laughs> it's this r- ridiculous sort of pratfall stuff. Um, you know, always they're trying to rope two Texas millionaires into a game of gin rummy that's going to be fixed or, or, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, um, a lot of rides through like dumb waiters. But but anyway, it wouldn't, there's a gal, there's a dame, and that's you know classic Bogart. There's a dame, and she's um, the object of his desire, but also like she is she on the right side of the law, on the wrong side of the law, and so it. it leads him down this rabbit hole with his uh, sort of like um, unwilling compadres, mm-hmm. one of which is unwilling because he always wants to get laid and he can't because right. he's being dragged by gloves down here, mm-hmm. into like a toy warehouse that's actually a front for a Nazi uh, operation. Right. It's, a, it's got a scene with a... The um, landmines. Uh, yeah. <laughs> toy warehouse. It's got an antique um, auction that's clearly right. the prototype for North by Northwest, mm-hmm. I think, in, in a lot of ways. That I always scene. wondered if maybe, if maybe Hitchcock had something to do with the writing or something or the production of this movie because it's it's a very it's really if you squint it's a really classical Hitchcock movie yes yeah, sillier in a lot of ways. sillier yeah, yeah, I would more, say more, it was definitely a more comedy skewed for sure but the guy who but, the, but you know the guy who keeps getting pushed down this path uh, by forces he doesn't under but the, right. the outsider you know. he's apolitical he's apolitical right. but somehow he's you know he, he understands slowly he begins to understand like don't you realize these people will tell you what to think what to wear what to eat you know and it's like 
like we gotta we have to fight them and, and then you're banging your tractor <laughs> and then i mean this is an, invariably someone throws a hatchet at a picture of like hitler it's this constant sort of like somebody ha- punches him right in the nose half-ass propaganda oh, um kind of like a minor three stooges um uh there's a drama because it turns out the dame is in trouble. It really is a good woman, but her father's in a concentration camp, which is, I didn't know in 42 they were even putting those two words together for the American public, but they actually say concentration they camp. Did, even though I don't think people know it. They, it's not as a labor camp. They didn't camp know what it was. Or, yeah, exactly. It was like a labor. It was like a jail. It was right. like a jail with more air, more fresh air. So somehow, you know, I, I, not to give too much away, but it really doesn't matter. Somehow, um, uh, Bogart and, and uh, Demerit, William Demerit, end up posing as Nazi spies right. who are there to like um, torpedo the Brooklyn stockyard or naval yard or something and get involved in like a, a what I think is a fucking hilarious basement meeting mm-hmm. with real sort of Nazis who are there for, for sabotage and I, I just it's just so this double talk and this ridiculous ridiculous stuff and of course let's not forget also 1940 not much has changed in 12 years sweet racism because he has a black butler oh keeps and, borrowing his clothing it's like yeah right right <laughs> Uh, did you borrow my pants? Did you borrow my shirt? Did you borrow my belt? You don't want your pants to fall down, do you, boss? And it's like, or or like... Um, By the way, this is the exact humor that kept Jack Benny on the air for years and oh, years. Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, and it's like, you know, and, and, and finally we see the bride, the new bride, who's not getting laid by what by the younger um, guy in the group, and she sort of crosses paths, and she's annoyed that they're off again. You know, she's not right. going to get hers. And the butler turns to her and says, oh, don't worry, ma'am. Things ain't always as black as they seem. And look, of course, it's not actually funny... It's one of those things that, like, the humor is the sort of, like, removing your camera twice and going, like, it's hilarious that that was... Funny. Was funny. I mean, it was sort of flew under the radar. People legitimately thought that was hilarious. Yeah, or or worse. Like, that's, of course, that's how (laughs) Negro actors would, would, you know, it's sort of... It's ridiculous. Oh wow, not that's funny pro- or ironic, just true. I think that's uh, probably yeah, that's what a lot of people thought. So it's yeah. kind of, yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's a chance to, to actually laugh at some white people if you see it through the right lens. But, you know, the film is like, it's ridiculous. It has, of course, the perfect, you know, set of set of endings in a way. And, you know, mm-hmm. the old lady gets to use her tagline again. And everyone just sort of shows up. And I, I just, I don't know why. There's just, to me, it's a, a totally imperfect film. But I've, I rarely enjoy a film as much. I had to stop watching it the way I stopped watching Goodfellas and just say, like, I can't watch this movie for a couple of years. Because it was like my go-to <laughs> sick from work movie for a while. Yeah, I get that. I get that. What's a movie like that for me? I'm just trying to think. Mm. Well, Goodfellas, oh, yeah. for the longest time, would, would have been falling into just that couldn't watch it or, or uh, Godfather 1. That was a big one for me. I've learned my lesson. I mean, like, I, I felt that way about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, maybe I should go in the movies and see it again. Like, no. No, don't. Wait five years or something. You know? and then there, I'm always surprised because there are some movies that are like, for me, are just hard to watch. And so I wait every 10, like I watch them every decade or so. Hard to watch because they're just... Um, Apocalypse Now. I just, oh, it just is, yeah. It's just a, it's just a fucking burden to sit there and watch yeah. that movie. Yeah, it's worth, it's that. one worthwhile doing every... Of course. Yeah. Just keep your fucking hand in the game, but I can't do it more than every Well, this decade. isn't it's that. Just, and if you're not me, it, no worries. You won't get addicted to this movie. I don't think anyone will, but it's fun. It's so fun. Yeah, I don't know. It's a fun movie. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. It is a fun movie. Um, but again, it is, yeah, it's, it's kind of like obscure. <laughs> You're right. Not yeah. a lot of people talk about this movie. Yeah. 
What are you doing, Gloves? I'm going to knock those heels back on their axes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> Zing. Yeah. Cash that check. Yeah. And then I, then I love it that much, and then I don't have much more to say about it. kind of says a lot about the movie, but, uh, you know, whatever. All, All right. right. All Next right, so movie. 1944. This is again, so that last one was my choice, and this one is also my choice, and it's yes. a Passage to Marseille. And by the way, we should say between All Through the Night and Passage to Marseille, which is 1944, you have um, uh, also another, I think it's 42, maybe 43, across the Pacific. Right. I think a, a contender, like a um, worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so 44 is... Okay. This is even more obscure, and this is, yeah. and I hate to tell you, this is harder to... I think as a movie go, this is a little bit harder to, to go along with, but it's still mm-hmm. it's an enjoyable movie. I think it's a better film, actually. Really? And I, I don't enjoy it quite as much, although I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's crafting wise it's better i think it gets shit on for i don't think it deserves the shit it gets uh, okay uh, i mean one of the things that two things are said about it one is that uh a weak version of casablanca right. and i'm like i don't really well it definitely like owes a lot to casablanca well, and it definitely is i mean it's got the cast first explain off. that to me in a minute and then and then i just want to sort of name the second one and we, and we can go back into that um weak structure and it's like yes okay look i teach um among other things creative writing mm-hmm. i teach short story writing at times right no, so it's like y- yeah what no no oh uh, yeah and so therefore i'm an expert no no i just mean this um the problem that people are citing with the weak structure is how many flashbacks within flashbacks it has it has uh, three of them inside sure. each other and it's like okay the reason i bring up the, my students is yeah any brand new creative writer who's, who's doing that short story i go no don't no don't do it don't do any flashbacks much less three but the thing is i don't think it's a problem any sort of a, approach is a problem if you do it well and i think it's done well i have no problems with the flashbacks i don't find them confusing i find them informative i find them the rabbit hole adventurous but we'll come back to that because i'd like you to tell me get, sort of bolster up the, the casablanca connection Oh, well, first off, the cast. Let's just start right there. That's the easy one. Okay, and the director, Michael Cortese. Right, there's the director for sure. Okay, Uh, but there's also just like the uh, sort of, kind of the ad hoc sort of love of, it's the pro-French, pro-Vichy French thing that this thing is taking as well. There's that part of it, too. Okay. There's kind of a, there's this, the the one, I would say the real downside to this movie to me is the fact that the, um, the the love affair is a little shoehorned in on this. But they're definitely trying to—they're definitely trying to cash in on Humphrey Bogart as a as a romantic leading man in the situation where he's a very cynical person. Bloody, it's, it, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of sort of facile similarities going on. He needs a motivation, and the love affair is that. And I'll grant you that's probably to me the weakest part of the film. That's sort of like the book ending of this marriage or relationship he has, and then child he's never seen. Right, right. So yeah, that's kind of the weaker thing. I um, mean, you know, other than that, it's uh, you know, it's it's um, they're just. There just there are some little bit bitty similarities going on, but it, I don't think either it's, film it's, is pro Vichy. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think Casablanca's pro Vichy, and I don't I mean, think at the end they go and fight they they, they go fight you know the, the they go fight for uh, to the uh, for uh, you know the French cause. In the end, Reynald does in Casablanca, but in the and, very and end, Rick goes along with him. At the very end, yeah, I think this is a, that's this his, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Right, I think right. that's his abandoning the Vichy side because he's been a Vichy worm the whole time, and it's like he. Oh yeah, you're right. It's fucking hot. My brain isn't no working. Problem. You're right. It's not but, Vichy. It's it's free I think, French. I think the same thing here too. I was going for free it's, French. It's the Vichy government that helps um, smash. Um, his name is Matrak. 
right? Is Matoch. is Matach is is Bogart's character in this? And when he's a free man in France before all, like the original rabbit hole flashback, mm-hmm. it's the Vichy, Vichy government that that smashes his press and does all that stuff. So there again, I think both films makes assholes out of the Vichy, which right. it sh- they should. Right. But but so I don't think it's a. But but that's that doesn't dismiss your point. It's a, that Vichy. No no, I just backed out the Vichy thing a second ago. No no no, I you heard that part. I did. No no, I'm just oh, okay. I'm just following through with the the passage of Marseille also. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to f- complete the conversation. I'm not I'm not arguing against you on that. But but um, I- I'm saying whether it's pro Vichy or anti, maybe your point is that the Vichy is such a prominent part of it. Well, it's, it's, the, the the super nationalistic French is mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. Yeah, I guess that doesn't seem. Given that both are, it's are much produced, more played up in Passage to Marseille for sure. Yeah, but I think that given that both films were made during the war, it's it's you know it's sort of like yeah, it's kind of a natural as long as as, long as, right. as soon as you have French in oh, there. This movie is not at all a, a subtle uh, piece of propaganda. This is did I just say it that way? <laughs> like yeah, propaganda. propaganda. This is this is very much this is very much a piece of propaganda. Oh yeah yeah. And by the way, I'm not. Uh, th- remember here, lest the heat get to us. Uh, let's save our argument, our big fight for later on, maybe. But, but um, I'm not arguing against you. Uh, remember, my my beef is with the people who think it's uh, a a weak structure and b just a sort of Casablanca copy. Because I think it's just too easy to call it a Casablanca copy. No, it is too easy to. I mean, it, it's it's this, it's a it's a situation where a studio made a movie and then made a similar made a movie along the same lines ish things yep. about a what like a year later or something like that using a lot. Yeah. Out of the same actors. I mean, yeah, those, yeah, yeah, those parallels are going to be there, and whether or not they're fair. I mean, in this case, yes. this is. I, I don't think. I don't think that there are certain parallels. Yeah, I don't think it, that makes passage. That's a problem with passage from Marseille. No, no, and I don't think people do it with um, with across the Pacific too. Oh, uh, look, they're going back to dip into Mar- Maltese Falcon. It's like, well, yeah, it's Houston and Green Street and Astor. I, I grant you that, but right. as far from the Maltese Falcon you could not get than across the Pacific. Right. So, anyway, so so look, the the whole sort of like, um, I think the bad structure is not is actually not the um, flashbacks. It's the present story because it's like this this reporter somehow goes into a part of France where like a whole sort of bombing squad hides everything within haystacks, you know, a la Hogan's Heroes. Um, um, Claude uh, Rains is there with an eye patch to sort of like, uh, uh, and for some reason, the the uh, Reporter goes, who is that man? The flash, you know, close up of, of Humphrey Bogart as Matrock. And, as the and then suddenly, boom, we're balls deep in the, of in the story of Matrock. Yeah, now having said that, yeah, to me, it's like the reverse a comment. It's like, it's not the, the flashbacks that bother me, it's the frame story that bothers me. But it's only like 10 minutes of the film in total. We get this, like, tell me the story. Okay, I grant you, corny, but the story is so cool. <laughs> because uh, uh, Aikens, uh, not Aikens, uh, that's Sheriff Lobo, uh, Claude Rains is, is on a ship with. Sydney Green Street, who is um, a, a very annoying French colonel, I guess. Collaborationist for sure. <laughs> Vichy Vichy, with yes. a, an ass kissing assistant. Ah. Um, and all of a sudden, what happens is they uh, all these men sort of wash up and they've, they've been sort of like, you know, Tom Hanks, uh, you know, to the ocean. And uh, you can borrow that phrase anytime. Like Tom so Hanks to the they ocean. They got Wilson, is what happened. <laughs> they Wilson. Seriously Wilson. They got seriously Wilson. <laughs> um, but, but they pick him up and it's like, now tell us your story. And right. it's like, I get that that's annoying, but the stories are so fun. 
fucking fun because they are a, a, a combination of guilty and innocent men. Of course, Bogart's one of Matt Ross. going to be innocent, innocent sure, yeah. men who tell their story. Framed, like framed, I tell you. How they escape from Devil's Island. So it's like, okay, now we go back to Devil's Island. It's like pre-Papillon, and I'm talking not the real Papillon, but the 70s version <laughs> with, with, with uh, Steve McQueen. Why is Devil's Island so fucking fast? Because it's amazing. It's just as fascinating. I mean, they couldn't, they tried it with other things. They tried it with, you know, a bridge in the river Kwai. Like, you, we need no fences here because of the Burmese jungle. And it's like, yeah, but, but let's Devil's make animals Island. out of men. This is the Basically, best right. Yeah. And it's like expendable people. So it's like, no matter how bad they are, you sympathize with them, yeah, right? Who yeah. wouldn't want to escape? So, so it's, it's, it's this movie that's all about sort of like present day French fighting. This guy who's fighting for his wife and a child he's never seen. Mm-hmm. Their story back in France and how the Vichy government, along with the Germans, fucked him over and put him in jail. How that led to him being in Devil's Island. How that led to him escaping from Devil's Island. How that escape led him um, to run into Sydney Green Street in a much more sympathetic Claude Rains on that ship. Right. And all these stories sort of intertwining with ridiculous propaganda, with yeah. a frame story that's unbelievable. But well, I just find it so engaging. Mm-hmm. But Please, uh, I don't know. I, uh, of the two, I would say uh, all through the uh, the um, all through the night. Yeah, all through the night is like my favorite of the two. But yep. I enjoy a passage to Marseille. It's got first off, it's got a cast that I enjoy. Every goddamn member of it: yep. Claude Rains, uh, you know, to, to Bogart, to Peter Lorre. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so so um, you know, I like. I, it's an enjoyable movie. I think it's a flawed movie, but it's uh, yeah. but it's but it's enjoyable. It's worth watching. For it sure. definitely is flawed. There's no question about it. It's mm-hmm. it's dry. It very much feels um, Warner Brothers. Esque. That's another oh, thing about yeah. that time period. Where yeah. it, it, whoever it is, the Warner Brothers to me, more than any other studio, really encapsulates that time period, the 40s, and, mm-hmm. and a certain type of film. Right. And it's films that have like texture and more interesting characters than others. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, for sure. Yeah. All right. So, shall we move on? Yeah, I hate to move on. Well, of course. Oh, do I hate to move on? Because the uh, the next three movies all happen in the same fucking year. It's weird that we picked. <laughs> it's interesting to figure out which one's going to go first two, here, but let's do it. You picked two from the same year, and then I picked a, a third one that's also from the same year. So we're yeah. blowing past. We're blowing past Key Largo, which we've already done, but we're well, blowing past. Like I said, there's just no way to cover everything. Even Otherwise, nine, we would have done the 10 movies, and even at that, we would have felt like we hadn't covered everything. Right, right. I'm just. Honorable mentions here. I, there's a film called Knock on Any Door. I used to love as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of his, the, his first of four films he made with his own production company. He was the first uh, movie star to do his own production company, which isn't to say, I know that like Charlie Chaplin and... and uh, United uh, Artists before that. But right. that's that's different from your own production company. Right. Uh, sort of like something like you can put up and down. And so it's like he did like Deadline USA. These are like movies that that's are like not... Movie. They're decent. Yeah. There's the one where he's a, he's a early... It's a early movie about a mash unit I forget what it's called, like Circus USA or something. Where oh, you know, I never saw that was one of the that was one of my short lists. I think it's like YouTubeable. I think it's it's public uh, domain for okay. some reason. And All then right. you have like the African Queen. And so, like one of the things I, I just want to I think I love his last movie. I do too. We talked about that in a previous yes, episode, The Harder They Fall. I love it too. Such a good movie. And by the way, we should say this before I forget, even though it's out of sequence here. He was in um, 
uh, all set, including like um, uh, dress rehearsals and costume design to, to star in uh, a movie with Lauren Bacall. And it was like a comedy, and I forget the name of it, but it was mm-hmm. supposed to be after that. Oh. Um, but I want to mention this because I think it's important before we get to 1955, which is the year we chose three films three from for some reason. That one goddamn movie. That he does two things that exemplify how great he is. Um, 1948, Treasure of Sierra Madre, which I don't want to talk about a lot here because we can talk about it somewhere else. Also, um, uh, 1954's The Kane Mutiny, which again, we can talk about somewhere else. But I'll just say this. He is... he already had a character that was lovable and bankable. Yeah. And he, in those two films and in some others that are lesser known, he decides to be the unreliable, dislikable person. Yes. And that's a fucking brave that's choice, man. That's a fucking move, yep. He's great. So 1955 well, comes around. Good, don't forget Africa Queen, same thing. Yeah, I, I mean, would. He went, he went every once in a while. He was big enough to be able to play against his type every once in a while. Yeah, a hundred percent. But at least in that one, I will say this: it's like the turnaround is in the first act of the film. Yeah. He becomes likable in the first act. Whereas, I mean, Treasure Sierra Madre, uh, that documentary I saw, <laughs> Scorsese was saying like, you understand early on, you're on for a dark ride, and you are not getting out of that ride. It's like, yep, he's a hundred percent right. True. And I would say, Kane Mutiny, it has a turn at the end where you you sympathize with Captain Quig more. You understand that there's a bigger context, but you, they make you wait till the very end. On oh, that one. he's so hateable. Yes, he is. Strawberry. Strawberry. So, so um, we'll start with um, one of your choices 1955's The Desperate Hours. The Desperate Hours. Yep. With uh, starring, uh, starring Humphrey Bogart yep. and secondarily starring Frederick March. And here's, the, here's a neat little piece of trivia. Yep. Originally, Frederick March's spot was supposed to go to Spencer Tracy. Yep. Tracy turned oh, it down sorry. because he didn't want to take uh, he didn't want to take the secondary billing on it, and uh, they were good friends, but he wasn't. Apparently, they weren't good enough friends for Spencer to take second billing on a movie. Yeah, and uh, also, of course, Bogart's role mm-hmm. was supposed to be was originally on Broadway. Uh, Paul Newman. Paul Newman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they made him. So for the movie, they made his character a little bit older, of course, uh, because yeah, he was not the kid that Paul Newman was at that point. Uh, and um, I like this movie. It's a compelling movie to me. It's got. It has first of all, it has a lot of like really interesting um, littler people, and in it. it's like Gig Young. You know Gig Young. The name is familiar. He's the, he's the um, the daughter's boyfriend in this film, and he plays the, the daughter's boyfriend who's oh, the okay. attorney. Mm-hmm. He was in Teacher's Pet later on. Yep. And then in the 70s, when he was in his 60s, he married a 30-year-old and then killed her and shot himself. Oh, good. Get good Lord. Get young. <laughs> Arthur, wow. Arthur Kennedy, who fears Arthur later... Arthur Kennedy, who's plays, like... Uh, he's close, in so right? many movies yeah. that I fucking love. Elmer Gantry. Lords of Arabia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's um, great. Uh, and then also Robert Middleton, who like... Uh, uh, you may not recognize the name, but he's in a... T- like, Creature from the Black Lagoon. He's, mm. he's in a ton of movies where he plays the serious doctor. Right. And so he's the FBI agent in this. But of course, yeah, we're talking about Humphrey Bogart primarily in Frederick March. And Frederick March, just chewing the fuck out of the scenery. <laughs> Who, which one? Well, I, I kind of both of them, but Frederick, of course, I think is a more accomplished uh, scenery chewer as a rule. <laughs> he's just, he's, he's, yeah. he's one of those guys who just, who, who can overact and really just gets, and that's beautiful when he does it. He I can, don't know how else to put it. He can so overact well about pulling back. No, don't make him angry, Billy. <laughs> it's sort of like, wait, you're the one stealing the scene right now. Yeah, 100%. I, I also want to add this before I forget. 1955 is also the year that Humphrey Bogart did two things. He went on Jack Benny to do like a, a, a all these sketches where he parodied his career. Uh-huh. But also, he did uh, one of those TV Playhouse 90-minute things. Right. And it was 1955's remake 
of the Petrified Forest. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, Duke Mantee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lauren Bacall mm. is the Betty Davis role, and Henry Fonda is the Leslie Howard role. And it is embarrassing. Really? I've it never really seen It really is embarrassing. And to some degree... How would you do that? <laughs> I like this movie, but the one thing... I, it, it's very hard to forget as you're watching it that Humphrey Bargett is just too old for this role. I think yeah. William Holden got away with it more in Picnic than, than Bogart does in this movie. <laughs> and Fair that's enough. saying a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, because this was the end. This is near the end of his career. He was starting to, yeah. It he gets like two other films after this. Yeah, it was catching up with him hard. Yep. This is definitely, this is, it definitely shows up in this. So, I mean, the plot of the movie is relatively simple, right? He's a gangster mm-hmm. waiting for a package. He needs to get some money so he can make good his escape. It's being sent. It's by a, a woman's coming. It's very sort of parallel to Petrified yeah, Forest in a lot, a lot of ways. Yeah, going on with that. Yeah, and of course, and so uh, he holds up, he basically takes this family hostage, yep. and it's based supposedly on a more or less true story of a hostage situation. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, it takes place in Indianapolis. In real life, I think it took place in Pennsylvania or something okay. like that. But uh, that's all sort of neither here nor there. And so it's, yeah, I mean, it's that that's the fundamental tension of the movie right there. It has some... some it's, a- it's at that point, it's kind of an actor's, you know, kind of an actor's, you know, run with this thing. Well, I, I mean, some things I like about it is that it has a menacing quality to it even before you get to Bogart. And it's like, why did they choose this family? Well, the kid had abandoned his bike in the front yard earlier that morning, so they knew that they would have a family with small kids and it's sort of like huh you kind of have to wait until like signs of the lambs to get some of this like inside the killer's <laughs> mind thing you know it's, right, it's right, kind of right. ahead of its time in that way mm-hmm. and you know he's with a brother who's kind of a cornball but the, the second character he's with I forget this guy's name but this big galoot um, that he's with is a galoot or galoot I forget, always forget I with a T okay this big galoot that he's with um, is also is, like I believe like an Eskimo it's right. gonna be a fucking problem man and so uh, I would say this I don't know that I've ever seen Bogart with all his bad guy roles in the past, mm-hmm. he had more power, and the 50s had come along at this point, be more openly menacing and kind of, you know, I mean, he's hateable. Yeah. He's hateable in Trails of Share Madra, but you understand he's also gone crazy. Yeah, right. Likewise, um, K-Mutiny. Here, he's just an awful person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, the, you know, uh, was it a good man is hard to find situation here? Yeah, it's very that Flannery that, O'Connor. That good call. call. Yeah, yeah. Excellent call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's basically about holding them hostage, but in a way, and it's sort of, in a way, where like they're f- they are forced to make moves. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the the hostage holders um, of letting certain people out of the house for certain periods of time right. w- with the knowledge that they're back in the house. And of course, that's more menacing than if you just held them in the house for 24 hours. Right, right, right. You know, and I, I would say using using the people that you are holding as leverage against people who are running yeah. errands for you, basically. Yeah, that's uh, fucked up. The weak parts of the story really are the sort of like um, foreshadowing and, and sort of like uh, posting that it does. So it's like the kid has all these sort of things. He hates milk. So, of course, when when the gangster tells him he doesn't have to drink his milk, he gulps that milk down. Or, like, he doesn't want to tell his dad. He's too old to tell his dad that he loves him. So, it's like, of course, like, that's going to be an opportunity to say, I love you, dad, later on. But it is tense, for sure. It has tension to it. Um, I really like the sort of outside story. Um, go ahead. No, no. I, it's, I, I like this movie. I've always sort of liked this. I've only seen it about three or four times. Mm. It, it, it should... Um, hmm, had, I gotten, had I gotten to it earlier, it might have become one of my top you know, one of my top movies. So, But I, I think it's an enjoyable flick. I like it a lot. Yeah, I do and too. Like I said, I think it's really sort of like watching the actors kind of be a little bit sort of out of their comfort zone a little bit. Certainly Bogart. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I think there's a, there's a lot of... There's some sexual tension there too that's not... Uh, quite alluded to, but it's there mm-hmm. for sure. Right. Um, you mean my feelings for Frederick March? 
that's what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going to go to my last choice, oh, right, which is... Oh, 19- no, you're going to make me end on... Okay. Well, right. just because... Unless you want to do yours right now. Oh, that's no, God, let's go. Let's go. Let's okay, so 1955 is The Left Hand of God. Left Hand of God. This is... By the way, I'm going to say there's a few things here, right? Like, it's... Um, first of all, it's um, directed by Dimitri, who did this... Who did um, the K-Muni. Oh, okay. Um, I can see that now that now that you say that. Okay. Um... Lauren Bacall, that year, she she was doing less and fewer and fewer films um, in the 50s, but that year she did a movie that I've always enjoyed, even though it's not a very good movie, called Blood Alley with um, John Wayne. Okay. And it's it's all about, like, kind of, not just the Chinese menace, but, like, the good Chinese folk versus the bad menacing uh, government. Sure. Right? right? So there's that. Also that year... Um, a book was published that I devoured at Grandma and Grandpa's house, and it was um, Four Years and Communist Red Hell. Old Grandpa Murphy had that on the shelf. <laughs> Good, sweet mother and of it, God. And, of course, it was Hold a on. priest who'd been held in communist China. Uh. And then don't forget also that Dimitri also did that same year, Soldier of Fortune. So we're hitting on an end, and I think a couple of months after this was released, Eisenhower um, made, I think, his only open threat to bomb a country with nuclear weapons and it was China. Wow. And so it's sort of like, yeah, there's a... Definitely like the lessons. So the lessons of Korea are sort of basically melting their way into the consciousness. We learned a lot. Yeah, why not? And I got to point out, like, because of the... the, uh, This movie here, The Left Hand of of God, the sheer Catholicness of our family drew this in. I think... 100%. I watched this this movie so many times just based on that fact. Yeah. This is Shoes of the Fisherman, I think, really had a... a, (laughs) place in our family's uh, consciousness for sure thank thank god nobody was into they probably was the the fact agony and the ecstasy more than they were anyways this is a this is a better example i think of the uh of the heavily catholic toned yeah for sure right okay so um and is there anything else i wanted to mention about this oh yeah i will say this also gene tierney who we've been kind of itching to do an episode on and we talked about her in great lengths uh with laura on the preminger episode um had had um, a nervous breakdown or was having nervous breakdowns uh-huh. basically at this point. Really? And um, I guess Bogart had a sister who had um, a lot of mental issues and, and he had a strange, for all his traditional sort of like leanings, um, he had a strange sympathy for people with, with mental illness. Yeah, and compassion really for kind. people with mental illness. Nice. Yeah. And so apparently the same way f- sort of famously, um, Spencer Tracy kind of like helped Montgomery Clift in Judgment at, at Nuremberg. Nuremberg huh? um, Bogart did that for Gene Tierney, nice. who was who was having just would have been fired. Okay, by wow. by everyone involved, but but uh, but he. If you had to look across the table and see Lee J. Cobb playing a Chinese man, you'd lose your fucking mind too. <laughs> <laughs> this does have one of the more unfortunate whitewashing incidents of all time. Yeah. It it makes uh, it makes Breakfast at Tiffany's look like a like an acting masterclass. Oh no, come on, come on! I don't. I mean, you're you're exaggerating for effect, oh, right? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah but for yeah. effect, very much for effect. And I just stopped myself from doing one of those. So yeah, I'm good. Yeah, very I'm good. Good, Tom. Yeah. All right. I mean, there are other things. Too, but let's talk about the plot. But but uh, and oh, yeah. then I mean, there's going to be ample opportunity. So it's sort of like you know, um, a Humphrey Bogart um, again through a flashback. Only one on this. You know, I'll just sort of Sorry put about it, that, I'll put it back in its order. Yeah, I need, I need three for a good film. Um, he's um, 
uh, escaped the clutches of Lee J. Cobb. Um, uh, Humphrey Bogart was a pilot. He'd been shot down. Lee J. Cobb sort of took him, quote unquote, prisoner in that he made him his second in command as a, as a local warlord. Because it's a Chinese warlord, and he yep. got himself an American pilot with Yankee know how, so you got to put him to work. Yeah. Yeah, you know how he couldn't, couldn't resist. So it's pretty, so, it's pretty fucking obvious. Yeah, but it's like yeah, but but he's he is a prisoner in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. This prisoner who gets a, to be in charge of of other uh, in a silk lined uh, cage. <laughs> yep. Yep. So so he tries to escape. Um, he runs across um, the f- uh, local missionary uh, priest who's right. who's leaving, mm-hmm. um, but who's been killed or dies in some way, and just sort of like it's a classic, like puts his clothes on, goes over to the right. to the missionary, and mm-hmm. assumes his role. Right, takes over the job with only with only the, the idea that he'll do it for a couple of days so he can find a way out of it. Right, get the fuck out of and he gets some but sort then of sanctuary he gets there, and he loves the people. Yeah, I mean the thing and is, and the lady. Jim is also. There is a funny. certain amount of stuff that that makes sense, despite all that doesn't make sense. And it's this, you know, if if you, I mean, a missionary who comes in and then decides to do things um, authentically in terms of like using the local people's language, I can see on some level how they make the case for this guy being a popular priest. Right. Having said that, his ridiculous like teaching children. Um, my old Kentucky place on piano and the Chinese children oh, who are old like Kentucky home. oh it's it's oh, re- yeah. oh I'm sorry old Kentucky home it's so <laughs> it, it's um really like kind of like the noble savage mm-hmm. sort of story in a lot of ways mm-hmm. Agnes Moorhead is in there in one of her rare like uncunty roles I think she, uh, also that movie Cage she was uncunty yeah um. I find it very likable. I find his character very likable. It is totally an indefensible film. Yeah. In yeah. every way, it's, it's not indefensible. A good movie, but it, it is, isn't. But, uh, and, and, and I'm going to say it's more enjoyable than just the fact that I grew up watching it, right? Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a better movie than it sounds like it could possibly be on paper. I think it's the tone. That makes it that way because the story is not great. No. And the acting is okay. And Lee J. Cobb is pretty he's, ridiculous as that Chinese. Yeah, but he's pretty awesome too. I, I don't know how else to say it. It's kind of weird. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, Lee J. Cobb had like one move. Like, Bogart had 17. Lee J. Cobb's move was to, was to be serious and then to burst out laughing and then to be serious again. That was kind of like his acting move. And he, I know what you mean. He did exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. Look, I, I like the. Um, this film has one of the most classic 1950s sort of um, cinematography and color. Yeah. You know, I think like the end of the Six Happiness has it as well. There's something, <laughs> and also Indiscreet does it too, like the grays in that film. Mm-hmm. Something about the grays and the red. Um, I can't say much more about it. It's, it's totally forgettable in some ways, but I like it's, it. Yeah, it's an eminently forgettable movie. But if you like, say, Shoes of the Fisherman, uh, this, this, this could work for you, for sure. Uh, this could work. If you're feeling a little Catholic. Yes, sir. I a Lent you. movie. Yeah, well, we should do a Lent episode. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll let you borrow it. <laughs> and back. Okay, great. All right. So let's let's finish out well, with speaking a, of a indefensible, weird let's movie go to with, land. With our, okay, let's, I'm gonna, let's go with if Disney made Papillon. Do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
The movie is called... Oh, it's Papillon again. Papillon <laughs> subplot again. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, we, yeah uh, the, the movie is called We Are No Angels. We're mm-hmm. No Angels, right? Yeah. And it was remade later on, but uh, not, but this this is the not-sellout version of it yep. from 1955, starring Humphrey Bogart, uh, Peter off and I can't remember the other Aldo Ray. Aldo Ray, that's it, yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and Adolf, the, the little snake dude. He's also in there. He's a star. So. <laughs> oh, anyway. and Joan Bennett. Put a pin in that, Joan Bennett. Okay, Joan okay, Bennett. Go ahead. Pin, boing. Okay, boing. That's so, good pinage. All right. So this is this is this is the real story of Devil's Island. Don't let Papillon lead you down the primrose path uh, of how terrible uh, it was. Really, yeah. what it was uh, was a wonderful place where uh, nice people uh, went to work in a French resort situation. Yeah. Anyways, not good bullshit. Oh, so these guys escape from Devil's Island. So right? Eustonoff, Aldo Ray, and Humphrey Bogart do. And Adolf. Don't forget him. So they escape. They make their way to. Uh, like, like a French colony uh, town yep. there, uh, and so and they have to wait like a day to catch a ship to get to make good their escape, get the fuck out of Dodge. because the ship is is in bay, it's under quarantine. Right. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Okay. That's an important aspect. Okay. So anyway, so they're there. They um, basically uh, start. Uh, they kind of adopt a family, and by way of crime, start doing good deeds in the name of the family. It's a Christmas film in that sense. It's Leo yeah. G- Leo G. Carroll and and um, and Joan Bennett are married. It's a of course. A more ridiculous match you cannot imagine, like maybe the King of Queens or something like that. Leo G. Carroll and uh, uh, Joan Bennett, but yeah, the, it's a mercantile shop. He's he's um, running it for um, his like cousin or something who lives in who's mm-hmm. French. I want to say right. Okay, and everyone's French. In this everyone's a French in this. Everyone is so French. Oh, yeah. Nobody bothers having mm. a French accent. Thank God. That's right. Yeah. Um, and Which so, would be great because Peter Houstonoff trying a French accent would be hilarious. <laughs> and so Bogart and. And Yusnuff and, and Aldo Ray, who has his own weird scratchy accent, mm-hmm. is um, they sort of like take on a couple of odd jobs in the shop only to sort of keep up. How can we rob the place, get some new clothes, get right. the fuck out of here? Mm-hmm. But they fall. Yeah, they kind of they fall, fall in Christmas fashion for this right. family. Right. And they teach them how to live and love and dance. Well, here is, you know, what's interesting <laughs> is that, that quality is that Humphrey Bogart sort of reprises a little bit of the Duke Mantee attitude. Like you remember, you know, talking to an old man yes. like that. The idea that you have like this separate set of, of ethics, right, mm-hmm. or morals, and and they all three do. It's like let's get out of here, but like we don't want to do harm to people. We're not. What those. Are you talking about we're not hardened fucking criminals every from this animal of this place that treats you like a fucking island animal. story. Ever, we ever get in Hollywood involves forgers and you know like people who sold bad stocks or something. They're right. never murderers or like rapists yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, Papillon was a murderer, but yeah, mm, not Steve McQueen's Papillon. No. So yeah, no, exactly. Everybody there is there for some genteel thing. And so yeah. these and these guys are unaccountably nice, even though this they're in the, they're in a prison that makes Oz look like a like a daycare center. In a, in, in oh, hundred percent. Yeah, like I mean, a, it's, it's Devil's Island was famously a, a savage place. So I don't know how true this is that you could have um, people out on like a furlough if you're a minor crime to work for people. Like I mean, we have that now in a way. We'll let the California prisoners out to like yeah. like rent them out to businesses. Oh yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Um, so I I guess they did that. So that, that's a, look, huh? that's okay. a oh, their immediate cover. Um, in Oddly the same, enough, Steve McQueen did look better uh, than Peter Houstonoff. So, well, I mean, it, I mean, the most hilarious part of any Peter Houstonoff movie is how much he loves the ladies, the oh. buxom ladies, and the, <laughs> the titties, etc. It's like, come you ever, on. You ever wonder where Benny Hill came from? Basically, him. 
It's part of the same continuum there. But also, he's an, I like the fact that he's a safe cracker who I'm has sorry. a really interesting and musical way of opening uh, it's ridiculous. up safe. I'm about to be made, feel foolish. Was Benny Hill gay? Benny Hill? I didn't know that. Oh, I don't know. Is that right? what you're saying? No. Oh, okay. I just missed it then. Sorry. I, I thought I missed a, a key piece of no, like no, no. The over, Benny the, Hill sort history. Sort of the overlove of the, uh, the, kinda, the, the cartoonish uh, But the real Peter Houstonoff loved cock. Yeah, well, oh, oh, sure. I mean, that's what I mean. Okay, yeah, all right, all right sorry. I think Benny Hill did too, now that I Maybe think about he it. Did. So, yeah. Okay, no, 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 Okay, he was doing awesome. Yeah, I mean, this film, and, and, and then, of course, the fact that the ship is in quarantine is is actually that the um, the, the cousin, who's just a fucking piece of shit, is mm. coming back to look at the shop, and, and it'll be it'll be sort of revealed that the shop's made no money, and the family will probably be put out. Right. There's a daughter who's, you know, kind of a, a, an Audrey Hepburn type, in a way, right. who's in love with the cousin's son, but the cousin's son's probably lost interest, and so there's going to be this whole sort of clash. The thing about it, about the film, is that is two-part here. One is that the clash you're expecting never really happens, right. and in a way, it's actually better. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I mean, here's the thing. I've seen this film one at a time. Right. I hated it when I saw it before. <laughs> sure, actually, I'm curious. What do you think now? I don't hate it. Okay. I think I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's definitely not a great movie or even a good movie, but I mean, it's, it's, and I, I would, I would stack all through the night up higher for sure, but right. I would say that it, it, it has a, a holiday lightness to it. Um, Bogart has, has good comedic moments. Charming as fuck is the way I yeah. talk about this movie. It really yeah. is kind of charming. It is. I mean, it's, de- it, yeah. it, it, it's fighting against every built-in element of this movie to be as charming as this movie actually turns out. A hundred percent. You know, and it's like the only one who's, who's really in his skin the whole time there is Leo Carroll Because mm-hmm. he could just play whether, on the one extreme he could play Hitchcock, but on the other extreme he could play like Topper, the go, you know, the guy right, with the ghosts right, right. and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I found it very enjoyable. It's a definitely like a, a two and a half out of four stars. Um, maybe even edging toward three. Um, fun, lighthearted. The right. jokes when they hit, they hit where they needed to. Right. It was very functional. And I have to say, like I, again, this falls into the category for me of a movie I watched growing up. So yeah. I, so it's got that quality going for it for me as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's good. So I want to pull that pin on on uh, Joan Bennett. Joan Bennett in 1951, um, she met her agent at like a diner or something, and um, she got into his car and they went for a drive to talk about something. There's really no indication that she was having an affair with her agent, mm-hmm. although you, no one knows. Joan Bennett's husband um, recognizes her car and waits for them and then shoots the agent, like shot him. Mm-hmm. Now, here's how cool the world has been to women. She couldn't work for years because her husband shot somebody, right? This... I don't know if this is the very first film after that happened, but she was lobbied heavily by Bogart, who, again, not only got her the movie, Mm -hmm. but... I helped her through her nervousness. I mean, you look at that movie, there's no indication that she's anything but a pro at the sort of the light comedy. Right. He was, he did the Spencer Tracy uh, Montgomery uh, Cliff thing behind it. Which really, if we're going to wrap this... thing about him, I guess he's, just, he's also kind of a good guy. I, I mean, the same guy... Like he could be a real prick. But who could get in fights with his wife and, yeah. and be a drunkard and stuff was actually a decent person, I guess. Right, right, right. Disappointing. Yeah. No. <laughs> we want him more like Frank. He turns out, uh, for, it turns out, uh, turns out he's his own, his own guy. 
Yeah. He's so, a little guy. So huh? there, there are all these movies, and let's just blurt them out. All these movies that we didn't get, that of course we recommend that you get, that we'll take other times. So it's like, um, uh, 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 I think Dead End is one of them. High Sierra is one of them. Maltese Falcon's uh, obviously Treasure one of them. Treasure of the Sierra Madre, maybe one of the greatest movies of all time. Key Lager, which we've talked about before. Yeah. Even The Big Sleep, which I have my issues with. To have and have not. Yeah. Um, um, across the Pacific. Um, the African Queen. Um, uh, Sabrina. I like like Sabrina? I did not like Sabrina, but we could talk about that sometime. Um, That's, that'll be a holding for The Kane Mutiny at the top of that list, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and again, I, I, we apologize for being the weirdest who like, Hungry oh, Bogart episode. Did we not say Casablanca? I said Casablanca, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, but it's sort of like, yeah, you know, of course, this is sort of like the episode with the, the other Julie Andrews. No, we're not doing Sound of Music and, and Mary Poppins. <laughs> but it, it really wasn't like we're trying to be obscure. He's it's just that like, he's that likable. Well, he's also sort of that universal. And it's like, you can't do a diff- yeah, no, no, yeah. Okay, yeah. well said, Tom. Shut up, <laughs> dude. I have sweat. I have sweated through my sweat in this fuck hole. Yeah, yeah. That, it's been a hot day, and there's no, the air, no air conditioning in the pod palace today. Ooh, none. Uh, All right. So, so you probably have some things you'd like to say about your own um, comedy. Yeah, come check me out at TomSmithComedy.com. I'm doing some uh, doing some shows. I'll be up in uh, Humboldt uh, at the uh, in about the middle of October. Looking forward to that. Yeah, awesome. Um, uh, also, I mean, it's worth mentioning. Of course, we mentioned it before Patreon, um, and it's it's specifically because we're kind of back on track with a new studio because we were able to sort of pass, uh, cash in the Patreon money from yeah. before. It really helps us out with something we're passionate about. We hope a few of you are passionate about. So again, the deal is this: um, right now we have I think twenty six um, secret episodes. We're going to be releasing a lot more um, pretty soon, and you have access to all secret episodes um, on if you become a Patreon subscriber at the five dollars a month level um, if you can't do that um, at, at least if, if you have access to iTunes if you're able to rate and review us there and um, also don't forget to um, send us an email at finleysonfilm at gmail.com we love to hear you know, if you think we're ridiculous that's fine too I mean we, we argue with each other but we, we're, we're up to being criticized Tom is anyway I'm, well, I'm yeah. not myself but um, no probably not but I encourage you nevertheless to criticize Joe so. I really thought by the way that this 100th episode would end in a huge fight because we're so hot and this <laughs> I just, we don't have the fucking spirit and there are six films with which we could have argued passionately but you I think a, a we have no energy and B it's Bogart what it's do you, Bogart. What do you, how do you argue what do you, what's, what's, the, what's to argue with and by the way I, I, we usually don't announce our next episode but we're kind of excited about this um, for our 101st episode we made a promise if we make it to 100 or let's say every 100 that we make it to on the 101st and I guess the 201st mm-hmm. um, we'll do a, a cheat day episode so our next episode is going to be films that are post-1980. Our rule has been 1980 or before in terms of the classic films. And every 100 episodes, we're going to give ourselves license to do something for the last 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, because we're sellouts. All right, buddy. I love you, man. This has been a great, great adventure. I'm glad we have the studio. It's been a great thing. Thank you for 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 being part of this, man. Likewise. All right. All right. Bye, folks. Bye.